Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives recently passed the American Health Care Act, known in some circles as Trump Care, which they say fulfills their promise to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, known in some circles as Obamacare. The bill now moves to the Senate. We're going to talk about this on the program today. Our guests include Jason Stevenson from the Utah Health Policy Project and Boyd Matheson from the Sutherland Institute. We're going to talk about taxes, Medicaid, pre-existing conditions, and much more. And we want to hear your story. How would enactment of the American Health Care Act affect you? You can email us uh, during the hour to upraxis at gmail.com. Our number is 800-826-1495. Join us following the news. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the 25th season of the Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater, June 23rd through August 9th in Logan. Concerts, classes, and performances of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Pirates of Penzance, Madama Butterfly, and more. Details at utahfestival.org. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives recently passed the American Health Care Act, which they say fulfills their promise to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. The bill now moves to the Senate. We're going to talk about this during the hour today on the program, and our guests will include, later in the uh, program, uh, President of Southern Institute, Boyd Matheson. We're going to talk about taxes, Medicaid, pre-existing conditions, much more, and we want to hear your story. How would enactment of the AHCA affect you? You can email us right now to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And our number, our toll-free number is 800-826-1495. We want to hear your story, get your opinion. And we bring on uh, for the first uh, part of the program, Jason Stevenson, Education and Communication Director with Utah Health Policy Project. Jason, welcome back to the program. Glad to be here. Thanks. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Um, so uh, give me a thumbnail reaction to uh, the passage of AHCA in the House of Representatives. So uh, if uh, enacted as is by the Senate, signed into law by President Trump, what uh, what would be the effect in general? Got it. So it was one week ago that the House did vote and narrowly passed the American Health Care Act. Uh, so we've uh, had about a week or so to kind of figure out more of the impact. Uh, the legislation happened very quickly. Um, the amendments were added at the last minute. Um, really, there were no hearings. There were no public discussions about this, no witnesses. So people are now still digging into this bill. In fact, the full text was only released just yesterday. Um, and we still don't have a Congressional Budget Office score of the amended bill. So there is still a lot to figure out, still a lot that needs to be analyzed. But we do know several specifics that this bill will do. Uh, and one is that it will give states the option to bring back discrimination against pre-existing conditions on the individual market. That's something the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare got rid of uh, in 2010 for kids and in 2014 for adults. Um, the second thing it would do is it would allow states to roll back the essential health benefits that are also part of the Affordable Care Act. Those were the 10 benefits that said, you know what, insurance plans have to have prescription drug coverage, maternity care, hospitalization, uh, no more fine print uh, about what is excluded uh, or sort of that gotcha thing of where your doctor orders a test and then you find out later that it wasn't actually covered by your insurance. The ACA uh, got rid of uh, that kind of system. 
And the third big thing is, is the one that no one's talking about, but they really should, and that is a, a massive uh, cut in, re- in sort of new funding allocation for Medicaid. Medicaid is the federal and state program that helps low-income children, pregnant women, people with disabilities, and seniors in nursing homes. Uh, helps about uh, a little over 400,000 Utahns right now. Uh, and that program would face a 25% budget cut um, just by across the board. You know, that means you've got to do the same thing with 25% less money. And uh, a lot of people are saying that that is the the real impact of this bill, the thing that uh, we'll be uh, feeling for years and years to come. I want to start with uh, that uh, point. Uh, So Utah didn't do the Medicaid expansion that uh, I think 19 other states did. But you're you're saying that this general cut will affect Utah anyway? That's true. And actually, it was about 31 states that expanded Medicaid oh, okay. plus uh, D.C. Uh, Utah was one of the 19 that didn't. Oh, that didn't. So you're okay. right. The, the cuts to Medicaid will not affect us as much because uh, the cuts to Medicaid in the American Health Care Act actually start rolling back the Medicaid expansion. In fact, the Congressional Budget Office predicted within about seven or eight years, uh, the Medicaid expansion would disappear as we know it. Um, because uh, there would just be no extra funding for it, and states would no longer be able to to keep that program going. But it would affect traditional Medicaid in Utah as it is right now, and that's that's simply because of the way the the funding would change. Right now, Medicaid uh, works this way: you know, uh, the the state pays about thirty percent of the cost, the federal government pays about seventy percent of the cost, and uh, there's no ceiling on a person's medical care. So, in other words, if some uh, child gets leukemia or someone needs a, some, you know, a very difficult pregnancy happens on Medicaid, then uh, you know, basically the costs are covered. Under, under the new funding allocation, there's going to be a per capita cap, which means that we figure a child is going to cost $4,000 a year for medical care. Uh, and so you multiply 4,000 by the number of children that are on the program, and, and that's how much money you get. If a certain child gets leukemia and it ends up costing $4 million, well, then that really throws off the whole funding allocation, and that means maybe the state runs out of money in September instead of in December, and then they have to start making decisions about cutting benefits, closing enrollment, uh, you know, re- getting rid of reimbursements for certain providers. Uh, all of a sudden, you, you start rationing care. We're talking with Jason Stevenson from Utah Health Policy Project. We're talking about the American Health Care Act, which Republicans uh, tout as the, keeping their promise to repeal and replace uh, the Amer- Affordable Care Act. Uh, of course, this is passed the House of Representatives. It uh, goes to the Senate um, and uh, would, have to, uh, would, would have to pass there. Um, Jason Stevenson, I want to go to a couple of emails and uh, get some stories in here. But first of all, what... Uh, um, our two senators, uh, Senators Hatch and Senator Lee, I think are going to be right in the middle of uh, consideration of uh, health care in the Senate. Uh, Senator Lee, at least, is on the the uh, Senator McConnell's working group. He's assembled uh, you know, a, a panel of senators with diverse uh, interests. Um, what's your advice to Senators Hatch and Lee as, as the Senate embarks upon this? The Senate has is, is said, many senators have said they're, probably going to ignore AHCA, and they're going to just do health care uh, from scratch. You know, I, I think that is a good uh, prescription to follow on this. The, the House, uh, what the House did is pretty much what you don't want to do with health care policy. 
uh, basically have no hearings, um, have it based, decided by a bunch of backroom deals by a couple people, uh, in a very truncated process. I mean, this was just a couple of weeks that uh, they put this all together. Uh, and the bill really never was vetted either by the public or I think really vetted by the congressional staffs and the congressional budget office, that, that umpire that scores congressional bills about whether they, they save money or lose money or how many people they cover and things like that. So the Senate taking a slower, more deliberate approach is absolutely the way to go. I do think, however, that the House bill is going to provide a blueprint for the Senate moving forward. Uh, and unfortunately, the House bill crossed some huge red lines in health care, including bringing back pre-existing condition discrimination. That's something that uh, a lot of people didn't think we'd ever see again. Um, it, it, most Americans, in fact, a recent poll showed that about 87% of Americans don't think that insurance companies should be able to review your medical records and either charge you more or deny you coverage based on how sick you are. Uh, and the House bill did that. It brought it back, and, and I think there's a good chance that the Senate bill will keep that, um, simply because they've already crossed that red line, and it becomes easier to, to keep a provision like that. The one thing the House bill will probably do is maybe a little bit nicer to folks on Medicaid, and that's because uh, senators have to run for an entire state, uh, and uh, the impacts on Medicaid are so drastic, especially in states that have expanded Medicaid, um, that Republican senators in Ohio and West Virginia uh, and Nevada and other states like that are definitely going to feel the pressure to to safeguard their citizens who depend on that program. Now, uh, Medicaid, uh, pre-existing conditions, this is being touted in the House bill as uh, these decisions being left to the state. So it wouldn't necessarily have cuts, right, depending on what the state decided to do. That's right. You know, it basically creates a waiver process. The state can apply to the Department of Health and Human Services to bring back that pre-existing condition discrimination or get rid of the essential health benefits. The waiver process, however, if you read it, is, is very easy to, to get through. In fact, if the Department of Health and Human Services doesn't act on the waiver, it's automatically approved within 60 days. These are basically greased to pass. Um, and the only requirement that the state must prove is that some people will have lower premiums based on uh, getting rid of pre-existing condition protections. So that's true. People who are perfectly healthy will have lower premiums. Those that uh, you know, have health conditions, which is actually quite a few of us, are going to end up having higher premiums. But there's no requirement that it actually helps everyone's premiums get lower. It just has to help some people's premiums. So uh, we've talked to some Utah lawmakers, and in fact, they're very interested in this waiver process. They, they would want to apply for it. Uh, they, they think that this is a, a good opening to roll back some of those Obama care regulations. Unfortunately, that would mean bringing our health care system back to uh, where your, your doctor and your, your conversation with your doctor all of a sudden becomes something that an insurance company can use to deny you coverage. Hmm. One of my argument I hear uh, from uh, opponents of Affordable Care Act uh, is that uh, specifically with Medicaid expansion, but kind of in general, that Medicaid is, uh, they, they say it's, it's a horrible program uh, misadministered needs reform. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you right. do, do you agree with that? Is that it's kind of a side issue, but uh, it's one of the arguments that's brought up in in terms of the overall healthcare uh, system. Right, and we even saw that uh, perhaps from Senator Hatch just a day or two ago, where he said that you know uh, with healthcare spending, everyone's trying to get every dime they're entitled to. Perhaps he was uh, referring to Medicaid. We're not quite sure. Um, well, here's something not many people realize about Medicaid. Medicaid has the lowest administrative costs of any insurance program in the country. It's, it's better run than Medicare. 
and it's you know its costs uh, compared to private insurances are three to four times less. So if Medicaid is such a, a bad program, it's actually, you know, what it's doing is it's providing its care at a much, much more efficient uh, level than any other medical program out there. And, and, you know, let's look at who it helps as well. It helps uh, pregnant women, low-income children. It helps uh, those with disabilities. It helps uh, seniors living in nursing homes. These are the types of folks that most insurance companies do not want to cover because they're very expensive. Um, because they have a lot of health care needs, with the exception of kids. Kids are actually pretty cheap to cover. But pregnant women, people living in nursing homes, people with disabilities, these are folks that cost a lot of money. So Medicaid actually takes on the hardest cases as well, the cases that insurance companies are very glad to give to Medicaid because they don't want to deal with them. So Medicaid has the lowest administrative costs of any insurance program in the country, and they take on the hardest cases. So I think if you're starting to bash Medicaid, I think you should really look at what they're doing. They're out there. Medicaid is out there on the front lines. It is helping a lot of people. I think it's about 70 to 80 million Americans, perhaps more, that are on that program. And it is really, you know, helping folks not only get their health care, but it's keeping them away from financial collapse as well. You know, the, the, the tie between health care expenses and personal bankruptcy are very close, and Medicaid is a program that keeps a lot of families on their feet. Well, in fact, uh, here's an email. It's, it's, it's a good place to bring this in because uh, Gene, Gene Lown, who's a professor emeritus at Utah State University, a uh, longtime uh, listener to Utah Public Radio, has uh, written in on that very point. Let me read this email right now. You can email us as well to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. We want to know your opinion on the uh, American Health Care Act or the Affordable Care Act and on health care in general, and uh, specifically your story. We'd love to hear your story. How uh, would this affect you? Has the Affordable Care Act helped you or perhaps hindered you? And uh, what would the American Health Care Act do in your personal situation? The number to call is 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, and our email is upraxcess at gmail.com. You can join us on Twitter as well, at upraxcess. And we're talking with Jason Stevenson, Education and Communication Director with the Utah Health Policy Project right now. Uh, So here's what Gene says. Uh, There is a clear correlation between having access to affordable health insurance and thus health care and the dramatic decrease both in Utah and the U.S. in personal bankruptcies ever since the Affordable Care Act was implemented. Utah is well known for having one of the highest bankruptcy rates in the nation. Utah's bankruptcy rate declined significantly starting with the implementation of the ACA. Bankruptcy affects all of us indirectly. When debtors cannot pay their bills, someone has to pay. Losses are made up by those who have to pay. The same thing happens with health insurance. When people refuse to buy insurance or cannot afford sky-high rates because they're being charged very high rates due to pre-existing conditions, when they get sick and end up in the emergency room or hospital, the rest of us have to pay more. Under proposed health insurance legislation, many people will choose to be the quote-unquote free riders who refuse to purchase insurance and will be glad to have the rest of us pick up the tab indirectly through higher insurance rates when they end up in the emergency room without insurance. Levi Pace earned his Ph.D. in economics at University of Utah. Due to my research experience on bankruptcy in Utah, I served on his doctoral committee, and Pace's data revealed the link between personal bankruptcy in Utah and medical expenses. And she gives the link to uh, Levi Pace's uh, research there. So uh, you, you brought it up, Jason Stevenson. Gene Lown, uh, I think, is is agreeing with you at a link uh, be, between uh, lack of health insurance um, and bankruptcy. 
That's absolutely true. Uh, medical bankruptcy was the overwhelm um, was medical bills were the overwhelming cause of personal bankruptcy going up to 2010. There's been some studies in Massachusetts, and actually just a new study that came out this week from Consumer Reports. You know the folks who do the car buying guide that showed a dramatic reduction in uh, medical bills as a cause for personal bankruptcy. It, it's there's. It's just connected. Uh, you know, before the Affordable Care Act, we had the, the GoFundMe approach to health care, where you needed to go out and raise money from your friends or family or from your, your church group to help fund things. The Affordable Care Act brought in a more affordable and actually pretty good protection for folks so that, you know, if you needed a lab test or you needed chemotherapy or you needed something like that, it wasn't on the excluded list of health care benefits, which was often the case. The unfortunate thing is that the American Health Care Act, the AHCA, is going to return us to those days where you really don't know what your health insurance covers. Um, and as well as the fact that, you know, your, your pre-existing conditions, anything you tell your doctor, could come back and hurt you. Now, one thing I wanted to mention is that right now those provisions only apply to the individual market uh, within the American Health Care Act. So those are people who actually go out and buy insurance for themselves. Uh, it's about 7% of uh, Utahns and people around the country. So if you have employer-based insurance, which is where most of us have insurance, uh, then these changes actually won't affect you. However, if you ever lose your employer-based insurance or need to transition to the individual market or you're between jobs or something like that, or you even want to start your own company, then you're going to go into the individual market and these changes are going to affect you. So we like to think that we're protected because we're in the employer market. You know, we don't have to think about these things happening to us. But pre-existing conditions last a lifetime. Uh, employer-based insurance is just temporary. Um, people transition, lose their jobs, uh, things like that all the time. So uh, these, these things could affect you even if you think uh, they won't. I was going to ask you to give me an overview. You've, you've uh, previewed that. So uh, uh, I think most of us know, uh, kind of on a vague level, that uh, most Americans, most Utahns, uh, are not affected in that way by the ACA, right, or the AHCA. We, we get it through the old-fashioned way, through our employer. What, what are the percentages? You said 7% in Utah would, would go to the individual Yeah, markets. it depends which county you're in. In some counties like Utah County and Salt Lake County, it's a little bit higher. I think in Catch County, it's about 6 to 7%. Uh, people out there are covered on what we call the individual market, which basically means they go out and buy insurance for themselves. They don't have an employer or the government or the military providing them insurance. Uh, most Utahns, about 60%, get their insurance through their employer. Uh, and in that case, the employer usually contributes on a pre-tax basis some of their premiums. You know, your employer might cover 50% of your premium. You pay the other 50%. Um, that's the way most people get their insurance uh, in our state and around the country. The Affordable Care Act was designed to really help folks that were on the individual market. It didn't change too much with the employer-based market because it recognized that people who have to go out and buy insurance on their own really weren't on a level playing field because they weren't getting this pre-tax contribution from an employer because they didn't have an employer. They had to pay the full freight, the full rate themselves. So that's where the tax credits and the subsidies came in uh, on the Affordable Care Act to really level the playing field there. And, and those tax credits, you know, about 70% of Utahns that are applying um, get those. Uh, and they cover, on average, about 70% of the premium for people buying insurance. So it definitely helps folks uh, who were, you know, private insurance used to be out of reach, not affordable. It's made it more affordable and within their budget. 
Uh, what about the individual mandate? This was a big part, right? I don't know what the HCA does to this. The individual mandate was supposed to solve the problem of uh, the free rider, right, that uh, Gene Lowne was talking about, right, that the healthy would be forced to get insurance and that would help subsidize the, 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 the sick. Well, the individual mandate and the employer mandate are both gotten rid of by the American Health Care Act. Uh, that's actually one of the, the big things they do. And uh, there's, a ch- there's a problem with that, though, and that is if there's not an individual mandate, uh, but you're also saying that, you know, everyone can get insurance and your preexisting conditions don't matter anymore, uh, you, you don't have a workable insurance market, which is one reason why the American Health Care Act brings back the preexisting condition discrimination. Uh, they need that. It, it's different. The individual mandate was basically, you know, if you don't sign up for insurance, you're going to get a fine. Um, if you do sign up for insurance, then you get the insurance and there's no fine. What's interesting about the American Health Care Act is if you don't sign up for insurance, you're not fined. There's no problem. You can stay uninsured. But if you actually do sign up for insurance uh, and you wait uh, beyond the 62-day uh, length of time that, uh, that you're given, then all of a sudden the insurance company goes through your medical records and starts to charge you more for your coverage. So it's actually a disincentive to sign up. Uh, under the American Health Care Act because all of a sudden your pre-existing conditions come back to haunt you. Uh, and actually more people are going to sit on the sidelines then and say, you know what, if I sign up for insurance, I'm not going to be able to afford it. So it's kind of an upside-down individual mandate. It actually will prevent people from signing up as opposed to uh, you know, encourage people to sign up like the ACA does through a fine. And that's why the Congressional Budget Office also predicted about 24 million Americans would lose their coverage over the next 8 to 10 years. Uh, because not only will they be discouraged from signing up, but there's a lot of other changes with the tax credits and the Medicaid policy that are actually going to push people out of coverage. You just joined us. We're talking about the American Health Care Act, which was passed in the House of Representatives. The Senate will now take up uh, health care, and we'll see what happens. Uh, we want to know uh, your story, how this is going to affect you, and your opinion. You can email us to upraxis at gmail.com. Or you can call us to 800-826-1495. And we're talking with Jason Stevenson right now from Utah Health Policy Project. Uh, in about uh, uh, 10 minutes, we'll be uh, transitioning to a conversation with Boyd Matheson, president of the Southern Institute. Uh, Jason Stevenson, we have an email here from Michelle W. She says, I'm concerned about the pre-existing clause and leaving it up to the states to opt out or decide. Utah has a legislative history of not taking care of the poorest among us, especially when it comes to health care coverage. They didn't expand Medicaid when they had the chance. Therefore, I don't have any faith they will do anything differently this time around. As a result, we will have even more people without coverage and using the emergency room instead of office visits. We know this ends up kicking the can down the road and being more expensive for the state in the long run. My son has asthma, and we have good coverage, even though we pay a lot for his medicines and testing. However, as we know, that could easily go away with a job loss or downsizing. Then if there's any gap in coverage, health insurance would be cost, uh, could be cost prohibitive. We already dip into our savings for his care now. How will we be able to afford the higher rates of health insurance? I wonder how many productive working people will leave Utah for states that take better care of their constituents. I'm disappointed with the elite, well-covered representatives in Washington and here in Utah. Take away their health care coverage and see how they respond. That's uh, Michelle W. So Michelle W., uh, Jason, uh, doesn't have faith in Utah leaders to keep those uh, protections in place for pre-existing conditions. Yeah, I would say that her comments really crystallized the fears that many people have. 
And, and I think we also, it, it touches on a fact that I don't think too many lawmakers or other policymakers think about. One thing Utah Health Policy Project does is we actually help people enroll in coverage. So we are in the trenches signing people up. We also fix the glitches that happen between individuals and their insurance companies. They get their coverage dropped for no reason. Um, they get a bill that isn't a bill, and they have no idea what it says. I mean, we all get those from our insurance companies. All of those paperwork and administrative challenges that happen between insurance and between families, uh, we work on, we fix, and we see how prevalent they are. And so when people say, oh, you know, you can keep your coverage and you won't be discriminated against pre-existing conditions, as long as you don't have any gap in coverage and you fill all your paperwork and all of your bills are paid and everything like that, well, we know that life happens. We see it every day in our office. And right now, we're able to fix those problems and get those people back on coverage, and uh, there's no lasting impact, no negative impact on them. Their, their medical history no, isn't uh, sort of dredged up and used against them by the insurance company. But under the American Health Care Act, if 62 days and one hour go by, uh, the insurance company is going to be able to swoop in there and say, you know what? You've had a gap in coverage. We're now going to medically rate you, and your coverage is going to go from $500 a month to $3,000 a month. Um, and if you can't afford that, then here's this high-risk pool where there's a six-month waiting period before you can get any kind of coverage. And we, we see how that happens. So when people say, you know what, there's a lot of protections, there's a lot of uh, ways that people are not going to fall through the cracks, we see the opposite. We see how people fall through the cracks. And when there's a financial incentive from an insurance company to push people into the cracks, we know it's going to happen even more. We deal with reality where we think a lot of folks who describe the HCA as being protective are dealing more with, uh, you know, white papers and legislative text, and they're not actually thinking about how it impacts families. Let's go to a caller, Eric in Logan. Uh, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Hey, fellas. How are you? Good, doing well. Very very interesting discussion. Yeah, in terms of how, you know, the, you know, well, you know, the ACA has impacted us. You know, I, I run a company and um, we were excited around 2009, 2010. You know, we were getting to the point where we could afford health care insurance for our employees is a big step, you know, growing a small company. You know, Obamacare gets pushed through and all of a sudden our costs go through the roof. And that took it out of reach for me doing something for my employees that I had wanted to do for so long and that we were on track to doing, you know, very nicely. And the healthcare market went completely out of control. So as everyone, you know, is here, you know, shilling for and cheerleading for the ACA and now the AHCA, <laughs> and in terms of the two, I, I kind of feel like we're arguing between, you know, whether or not we want to be a passenger on the Titanic or the Lusitania. They're both a joke. I guess I wonder why we're not talking about rolling everything back to where it was in the 40s and 50s and 60s when America was the envy of the world for our health care. And our costs, were, uh, our costs were under control. Technology was increasing. You know, what about the FDA? You know, what about getting the FDA out of our way? You know, they cause more expense and death than can even be calculated. And, you know, the way the government regulates medical schools and so on. So instead of, you know you know, arguing about whether we should be putting a gun to people's head and about their mandates and about their taxes and the way that we fund these two competingly awful programs, why don't we say, hey, let's roll this discussion back to when health care was not a disaster many years ago. And I, I suspect that's enough grist for your for your mill at this point. I'll, I'll let you guys go at it. Okay, thank you, Eric. I appreciate uh, your experience. I, I was wondering about... Uh, 
small business uh, owners. Uh, Eric has offered uh, a view there. Jason Stevenson, to his first point, uh, Eric had wanted to offer health insurance through the company, but he he felt that uh, ACA raised the cost so much they, they couldn't do that. Yeah, you know, small business has been squeezed uh, by insurance costs for years uh, before the Affordable Care Act and, and to this day. Um, it has not adequately addressed that. And one thing in Utah is that Utah kept control of our small business marketplace. It was called Avenue H. Um, and it existed before the Affordable Care Act. Uh, it uh, basically became a part of the Affordable Care Act, but it was still run by our state. But it never really got off the ground, um, and it never offered rates that were that competitive to what people could go out and buy as a small business owner out in the private market. And in fact, Avenue H is going away at the end of this year. Um, Utah is actually just stopping it and uh, uh, not quite sure exactly what they're going to do going forward. But small business owners, that is a tricky situation because they don't have uh, the risk pool. You know, they don't have 10,000 employees where if one person gets cancer, that's spread out over 9,999 other folks. So they, they definitely get hit by insurance companies uh, because they don't have that, that same risk uh, spread. The Affordable Care Act did create some tax credits, but they were really tricky to apply for. Um, they, they bungled that. Uh, you know, Utah's Avenue H never really got off the ground. Um, and I guess I would have to say that that's still, still something we need to work on. Um, the good news is for small business is that their rates have actually not gone up uh, as much as the uh, individual market or other markets have. They've averaged about 7 to 10% here in Utah over the past three or four years. Now, I think there was an initial big bump early on because all of a sudden those small business insurance plans had to start covering things like maternity care and other uh, benefits that maybe they didn't cover beforehand. Um, but overall, their rates have not gone up as much, but it's still a big problem that needs to be fixed. The American Health Care Act doesn't actually do too much to the small business market. It really focuses mostly on Medicaid and the individual market. Just have a couple of minutes left with Jason Stevenson. We'll take a break and come back with Boyd Matheson from Sutherland Institute. Uh, Jason Stevenson, uh, uh, final couple of questions. Uh, first of all, uh, what what's your prediction? It's, <laughs> it's dangerous to predict. Uh, oh, I guess maybe phrase this, what's your hope? What do you hope comes out of the Senate? You know, I hope that the, the question of what's going to change in Medicaid is really looked at. Uh, the House never really addressed that. And part of that maybe was our fault. We focused so much on pre-existing conditions and the essential health benefits that we lost the idea that the elephant in the room was the, the change in Medicaid, really going back to before the 1960s. You know, it's going to become a, uh, it's basically going to erase that program. And I think senators are much more nuanced and concerned about that and, and will address the Medicaid cuts uh, and perhaps bring back some of the money there, change some of the ways that uh, the program uh, would, you know, start shedding pregnant women and children and, and children with disabilities uh, if the AHCA was passed as it is. So I think Medicaid is going to get a lot of attention from them. I also think that they're going to take a close look at high-risk pools. High-risk pools are basically a segregated pool for sick people um, that are designed to remove them from the rest of the insurance market so that everyone else's insurance costs come down. Uh, but history has shown us that high-risk pools don't work. Uh, they run out of money. Um, there's definitely not enough money allocated for them in the American Health Care Act. So I hope the Senate will take a look at that and either say, you know what, uh, the way we're funding this right now is not going to work, um, or we're going to have to do something different, uh, maybe invisible risk sharing or reinsurance, which is something the Affordable Care Act actually did, which means we're going to keep the sick and healthy people in the same pool, but we're going to give money to insurance companies to make sure that they're not losing their shirts on these more expensive patients. Uh, we're not going to start segregating the sick and the healthy, because anytime you do that, 
you create a lot of uh, bad incentives for insurance companies to start kicking people to the curb, um, which unfortunately is, is really uh, what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a bill, the American Health Care Act, which is really good if you're healthy, wealthy, and young. Um, you will definitely see some benefits there. Uh, but unless you're an Avenger superhero or something like that, you're not going to be healthy, wealthy, and young for the rest of your life. And so eventually those problems in that bill are going to catch up with you. Uh, and that's what we see here in Utah, and, and we're definitely concerned about that. Final question, uh, maybe uh, going off what Eric said, he, he, he said, let's get back to when our system was the envy of the world. Uh, so, you know, rising up to 50,000 feet. So if... if you were the czar of healthcare, um, or UHPP was totally in charge. Uh, what what are the parameters of, of the perfect or or a really good healthcare system? Is it universal single single pair? What 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 would the outlines be? You know, we we work within the realm of reality, so we know that a single payer system is not on the horizon, near term horizon here. Uh, but it is unusual that, that the United States of America is really the only industrialized country out there that does not have that kind of system. That's something to take, take note of. Also, the fact that our costs are two to three times um, those countries that do have a single-payer system. So there, there's definitely some, some geographic and some, you know, just looking around and realizing, hey, look, we're, we're maybe not on the right path here. I envision uh, us actually eventually settling on a system that is a hybrid of a, you know, a guaranteed health insurance with catastrophic and other care for everyone. Um, that there's, you don't even have to sign up. It's just out there, kind of like a Medicare for All program with layers of private insurance built on top. And that's actually similar to what the Canadian and the Swiss and the German model is. Uh, you know, there's no question that if you get sick uh, or need health and need health care, you'll be able to get it. You know, you're not going to be kicked to the curb as people are in the United States right now. Um, but there's also going to still be a realm for private insurance, for employer-based insurance, sort of extra layers. You know, so maybe you go to a hospital, if you're on the, the guaranteed catastrophic coverage, maybe you don't get the flat-screen TV in your room, um, but if you have that employer-based coverage, you get the flat-screen TV. You know? And that's, <laughs> that's kind of what uh, the system is in some of these other countries. Uh, I think in the United States, to go back to Eric's comment, we have a heck of a lot of flat-screen TVs in our hospitals, and they almost seem like hotels. And that is definitely another change that we've seen since the 1940s or 1930s in our healthcare system. It has become a very big business, and it also employs a heck of a lot of people. So anytime you start making changes to that, you're not only dealing with healthcare, but you're dealing with the livelihoods and the incomes for, I think it's about one in seven Americans that are directly involved in the healthcare system now. So those changes are going to take time, and they're not going to be as dramatic as a, a universal single-payer system. We have been talking with Jason Stevenson, Education Communication Director with the Utah Health uh, Policy Project. UHPP.org is where you can find them. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thanks again. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Boyd Matheson, President of the Sutherland Institute. We hope to be talking to you. 800-826-1495 is our toll-free number. We'd love to hear your story. We've heard some interesting stories this morning um, uh, from uh, people uh, worried about uh, their son with asthma to uh, Eric, um, who uh, runs a business and is concerned about uh, wanting to provide health care for his employees. We'd love to hear your story as well. How does the ACA and the AHCA affect you? 800-826-1495 or email us to upraxis at gmail.com. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members 
and Apogee Instruments, a Cache Valley company building precision sensors that support global research in sustainable food, production, renewable energy, and climate change. This is Science by the Slice. Life-threatening infection is an ominous hazard hanging over every invasive medical procedure. USU biologist Randy Lewis and students are investigating use of medical implants made from synthetic spider silk to reduce infection risk. The researchers say silk-based gels, adhesives, and coatings made from spider protein and water don't cause an immune response or inflammation. They're also strong and moisture-resistant. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in mathematics and varied scientific disciplines. Details at usu.edu science. Thanks for joining us for Access U Time. Tom Williams. Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives recently passed the American Health Care Act, which they say fulfills their promise to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. The bill now moves to the Senate. We're talking about it on the program today, and we have talked with Jason Stevenson, Utah Health Policy Project, in the first half of the program. And in the second half, we're going to be talking with Boyd Matheson from Southern Institute. Uh, we are talking about pre-existing conditions, Medicaid, taxes, uh, free market, uh, what the uh, healthcare system should look like, and much more. And we want to hear your story. How uh, has the ACA affected you? How would the enactment of AHCA affect uh, you? And uh, we want to hear your story, get your opinion. You can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And our toll-free number, if you want to call us, is 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. We welcome in uh, Boyd Matheson, president of the Sutherland Institute. Uh, welcome back to the program. Hey, great to be back with you, Tom. Thanks for uh, joining us. Uh, let me uh, get your just your uh, your quick take, overall take. Uh, American Health Care Act. Uh, what's uh, what's your opinion? So I, I think it's. Uh, it, I, I said the other day that the I think what the House did was more like uh, passing a kidney stone than passing a piece of legislation. Um, a lot of that was you know fulfilling campaign promises and. Uh, but I hope that it starts an important dialogue, I think, with the country uh, in terms of health care uh, and health, more importantly, health care outcomes, uh, because that's really what has been missing in most of the conversation. And, and so while the, the House did pass uh, a bill that starts that process, the Senate is going to take a, a very, uh, very different approach to it um, as it gets over to that side. Uh, I actually agree with, uh, with Jason on the idea that the process matters. Uh, and that the what was passed in the House was was really done in a lot of behind a lot of closed doors. wasn't a lot of debate and amendment going on, uh, which of course is the very thing that Republicans criticized Democrats of when Obamacare was passed. And of course, Nancy Pelosi's famous: "We have to pass it to find out what's in it." Um, and so, this is both sides of the aisle that I think are are doing what I call the way of the swamp, and that is crafting bills behind closed doors saying they're so fragile we can't possibly debate or have amendments proposed to them on the floor of the House or the Senate. Uh, then they create this artificial deadline of cl- you know, some sort of cliff or crisis, um, and then everything remains the status quo. And both sides raise vast amounts of money, uh, often you know, with their hair on fire, that if we, 
you know, past the AHCA, then, you know, grandma's going to be pushed off the cliff. And the right is saying, if, you know, we don't do this, we'll beat us socialized medicine by the end of the week. Um, and so I really call, I'm calling out both sides uh, because in that process, what we're really looking at and what we've really been talking about uh, in the Trump administration with health care is, is really not a health care bill. It's an insurance bill. So it's, it's primarily about insurance and insurance companies. It's not talking about health care outcomes or health care premiums that impact hardworking American citizens. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, my hope is that this working group in the Senate uh, will bring some things to the table, and I hope they put it on the floor of the Senate. Uh, and I hope they have a an open, robust debate. I hope both sides get to offer amendments uh, so that we can get to what's best for the American people. Uh, Eric, I'm not sure if you heard the, our caller, Eric, uh, just uh, recently. Uh, he's uh, He runs a small business. He said Affordable Care Act uh, raised costs. He blamed that on Affordable Care Act so that... Uh, he uh, the health care that he wanted to provide through his company he couldn't do that but he made an interesting point i'll characterize it this way he's he sort of said aca and ahca is, is sort of tweedledum and tweedledee right he he, he, <laughs> he did yeah i think i, I love um, his comparison between the the titanic and the the hindenburg i think were the, the choices he offered and and i think that's true in a lot of ways that we're we're really kind of tinkering at the margins right now, and we're not dealing with that small business owner. Um, we're not dealing with the people who uh, who are really on the ground dealing with it. And, you know, healthcare is an area in our society. We've had so much disruption in so many of the other things um, that we have, whether it's education or transportation or, uh, you know, how we choose a cell phone plan. Everything is, is tailored and customized uh, and has gone through major disruption. And healthcare hasn't done that yet. Uh, for a very long time, and, and I think we ought to be having a conversation, not just about, you know, can you buy health insurance across state lines, but, but why? Why do we have to have health care uh, so tied to employment? Uh, why couldn't we change that dynamic a little bit? It, it was kind of a bargaining chip uh, years ago, and then it became just kind of the standard thing. And so why does it have to be tied to employment? Because that would deal, that, that change in and of itself would change everything from pre-existing conditions to, you know, when you suddenly find yourself out of work for, for three to six months, uh, and what do you do? Uh, the other interesting thing, too, Tom, is, is I think we have a lot of the basis for the kind of innovation that healthcare needs right here in the state of Utah. IHC is doing some, some great things. The University of Utah is doing some great things. Uh, Blue Cross is doing some interesting things. We, we've got a host of things in, in the rural parts of the state uh, that are, are unique. Uh, and so I, I think this may end up being one of those areas that I hope Utah gets to experiment in the in a laboratory of democracy to say, hey, let's let's do it different. Let's approach it different. Let's uh, let's see what what can be done if we unleash American innovation on it. Um, and this is not, you know, just throwing it strictly to the, the free market, although I think that will drive a lot of uh, of things in a positive way. Uh, but there is a, also obviously a, a role of government. Uh, for those that are uh, the most vulnerable among us. And so that, that also has to be weighed in. I, and so I think if you balance American innovation with what Lincoln said was the proper role of government, that it was to lift artificial weights from all shoulders, to clear the path of laudable pursuit for all, and to provide all a, an equal chance and a fair start in the race of life. Uh, and so I, I think you can balance those two things. And I think Utah could probably do it better than anywhere else in the country.
I want to follow up on that. I was reading an article by Derek Monson on the Southern Institute uh, website. Uh, it made an interesting connection. Well, the headline is what United Air- Airlines debacle can teach us about healthcare. And uh, what Mr. Monson is, is going for, he's, he's arguing for free market forces, that, that that will at least eventually correct many of the ills. Um, but it comes down to where it was highly partisan, uh, very different views on either side of uh, what the role of government should be. And healthcare, of course, very high stakes. We've seen heartrending stories at these town halls of uh, people saying with, without ACA, without coverage, my wife would have died, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you, you're talking about a balance of innovation and government. How, how, do, we, how do we do that, yes, given, given this charged bet, partisan and, atmosphere? Yes, uh, and, and that's the thing that I think the American people simply have to start expecting more. Our, our political leaders have said, you just, this is just the way it is. We need to... To settle, and the American people need to expect and, and demand more. Uh, in Derek's piece, it, he he does talk about it, and you framed it perfectly, Tom. It's it's free market forces um, to make sure there is that innovation and that there is that natural pull towards greater service. Uh, the problem with many of the things that have been experienced uh, under Obamacare is that many of those free market choices are gone. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this last week that in, in Iowa, 94 out of the 99 counties in Iowa uh, have only one choice uh, for health care. Uh, here in the state of Utah, many of the rural counties in particular have one choice or no choices uh, as people pull out of those markets. And, and, and so I think making sure that there is choice, which we know does improve quality and, and competition and, and reduces prices, um, and it's also important to, you know, we often talk about those who, who did have insurance for the first time under the ACA. Uh, and that's good. The, the, the many stories that really hit me were of the people who, while having access to insurance for the first time in their life, didn't have access to health care because either their premiums were so high that that was taking most of their money or that the deductibles were so outrageous. Uh, you know, stories of uh, a young family who, you know, have an 8000 or a $10,000 deductible. They can't even take a, a daughter in for a, a checkup because it just, you know, it breaks the bank. And so I think that's an important part of the discussion is access to insurance is different than access to health care. And we need to, we need to be talking about health care and health care outcomes. Uh, I actually was on Obamacare as a uh, chief of staff in the United States Senate. And my... Uh, premiums quadrupled and my deductible doubled. And so we really didn't access health care uh, because it just didn't make sense um, because our, our deductibles were so high. And so there's, that, that's another part of the, uh, the component is are we really creating choices and are we really driving the conversation towards health care outcomes and how this is impacting hardworking Americans at across the spectrum. Uh, that's where we have to get if we're really going to tackle this problem and, and do something that matters in the long run. I want to focus on, by the way, we're talking with Boyd Matheson, president of the Sutherland Institute. We're talking about health care um, uh, on the heels of passage of the American Health Care Act in the House of Representatives. Uh, consideration of health care now moves to the Senate. Uh, we'd love to get your perspective on ACA or AHCA, 
your personal story at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Boyd Matson, I want to uh, focus on a, a worry that I think a lot of people share, both personally and, and uh, as, as these, these things are debated, and that is, that is uh, coverage. CBO scored uh, the original iteration of AHCA uh, that uh, 24 million would lose insurance coverage. Um, you, you're advocating, I think, for us uh, thinking outside the box, going beyond ACA, AHCA. How best to make sure that uh, everyone is covered? Yes, and so I think if you break that down into kind of the different components, you have those that are the uh, really the, the most vulnerable among us, some of those that are in poverty, some of those who have the, the long-term health uh, conditions. Um, it is important to note that, that about 5% of the patients account for about 50% of, of health care costs. Um, and so that's where some of these ideas around, you know, high-risk pools and, and some of those things come from. Uh, is, is, there a, is there a way to better make sure that that, that 5% group uh, is taken care of in the in the right way, and it's one of those that I feel the states can handle far better than the than the federal government can handle. Uh, I know here in the state of Utah, uh, regularly we can do far more with far less and with fewer of the you know the the red tape and strings attached from the federal government. And so I, I think that's part of the uh, the key is making sure we get as many of the healthcare dollars and decisions back to the local level and really into the to the hands of patients and and their doctors. Okay, we have a uh, caller on the line. Um, I believe a uh, caller from Pennsylvania. Is, is this Dan? Yeah, I was just wondering uh, when are they going to start talking about how Wall Street's been buying up small medical practices and stuff like that. And basically, you know, you got the uh, venture capitalist or uh, hedge funds buying up uh, pharmaceutical licenses for pharmacy drugs and raising them way up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I don't think I'm familiar. Are you familiar, Boyd Matson? Uh, I'm, I'm not um, familiar with that specifically, but I but it, the point is is absolutely right and proper that that a lot of what has been happening thus far, and it, this happened both under Obamacare and under the AHCA leading up uh, to the vote there in the House, is a lot of the influence is coming from the insurance companies, the drug manufacturing companies. It's big business, big lobbyists, um, and that's part of the problem. That's part of, you know, we talk about draining the swamp. Uh, that's that's a big, big part of it. I mean, there's, there's a reason why... Six out of the ten wealthiest counties in America are suburbs of Washington D.C., and and unfortunately, again, this is uh, another example, Tom, of of where we are much more focused on pleasing the the big business interests uh, and not so much for the American people. And I think it's one of the things that President Trump uh, really has to demonstrate as this moves to the Senate. And I hope there's a immense pressure on. Uh, Leader McConnell, who's sort of flown under the radar on a lot of this debate and, and discussion, uh, that are we making these decisions in the interest of, of the insurance companies? Because that's a lot of what this bill deals with, is high-risk pools and, and things like that that are, are good for the bottom line of insurance companies. And we, we've got to pivot that. And I, I, I think for uh, President Trump and for his administration, who, who have a very tenuous coalition uh, of folks across the country, if if this all gets done and it 
it seems that this is much more about big business and big lobbying interests. Um, his idea that he is standing up for the little guy uh, really goes out the door. Uh, and so that's, uh, to me, a, a critical thing to watch as you, as you watch the group inside the Senate. And then again, if it really gets to the floor and we really have an open and honest debate with the American people. Uh, Dan, I'm not sure if you're still there. Did we answer your question? I, uh, okay, Dan, Dan has left us, so hopefully we did uh, cover okay. his, his question adequately. Thanks for calling from uh, Pennsylvania. Um, you can get a, another quick uh, call in if you'd like at 800-826-1495. We have a couple of minutes left, or upraxcess at gmail.com. Um, so, Board Matheson, just a couple of minutes uh, uh, left. Um, what, what What is your specific advice to the Senate? I, I know, I believe... Um, both of our senators will be uh, an integral part of, of the process. Yes, that's uh, that's right. That's a that's a good thing for Utah to have uh, both Senator Hatch and Senator Lee uh, in the room there as they start to craft and and shape this. Again, uh, as I've said already, the to me the most important thing is that this is done in front of the American people, uh, that we can have a real conversation about health care and a host of other things. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those who believes we ought to lock the members of the House and the Senate on the floor <laughs> uh, in the chambers and and cause them to do uh, what I think is what they're sent there to do, and that is to debate, propose amendments, and vote. And I think if we do that, we, you know, we, we've got to get comfortable in this country having uncomfortable conversations. And whether that's dealing with, you know, those who, you know, have, have chronic illness uh, and those who have pre-existing conditions to, you know, how we deal with a host of other issues across the spectrum, we, we have to get comfortable with that. And we need our leaders to lead out on that. And I think taking a framework for a bill, uh, making sure it goes through the right committee process where, where people can come and, and testify, experts from across the board and across the country, and then place that on the floor of the Senate for a good open debate and so that members of both parties have opportunities to put amendments forward that will make it a better bill, that will make it better for, for hardworking Americans. Uh, that's, to me, that's the, the name of the game, and that's where I, I hope we get, and that's where I hope all of us as citizens begin to apply our pressure and our power as citizens on our elected representatives. Of Don't be content to allow the political parties to use this as a wedge issue so they can try to win political campaigns uh, or or raise money for their political parties. Okay, uh, we need to uh, transcend that. We need to we need to get to real debate and uh, a real process for the American people. We have a uh, caller. We'll try to fit this in very quickly. Uh, Glenn in Roosevelt. Glad you called. Go ahead. Hello. I, I work in oil field, and basically the oil field in general is pretty generous in their insurance basically because of competitive pressures. That could easily go away. I could lose my job. But I pay about $1,200 a month in total between what the, the company pays and what I pay. I've been thinking, you know, I'm paying it to an insurance company that has to make a certain amount of profits and has to pay their uh, attention to their stock holders. But what is, what is the difference whether the government is paying this, we had a single-payer system, and I'm paying a certain amount in taxes. You know, I mean, $1,200 is an awful lot. Hundred dollars a month, or hundred, hundred. You know, well, it's more than that. I should say about twelve thousand a year. It's about about a thousand dollars a year. But anyway, if you take out the profit motive for the insurance companies, obviously it becomes healthcare becomes cheaper that way. Especially in light of what we heard earlier about how Medicaid was working at a higher 
efficiency rate than what the the insurance industry is doing the same kind of a thing we're doing. That's just my comments. Okay, thanks, Glenn. We'll uh, we'll go a little bit long with the program because I'm interested in this. I, I was going to ask you, uh, Boyd Matheson, about universal single pair. I, I like to ask anyone I talk to on this because that's kind of the extreme on one side. Um, and Glenn's point is that he pays quite a bit. Uh, why not uh, plow that into taxes and then he could get universal single pair through the government? Right, and a lot of that comes down to the to the choices and the and the quality of the care. And while while Medicaid may be more efficient than it's more efficient than other government programs, that's an important thing <laughs> uh, to keep in mind. It's it's more efficient than other government programs. Uh, doesn't mean that it's it's the best or that it's what would be most satisfactory to the American people. Uh, so that to me, that's an oh. important distinction there. Um, and then I think the other the other point with uh, single payer is again it it just tends to lead towards a, a okay. status quo mentality and there there are a few things that we can really point to where the government does it better uh, and where there's no choice or competition and whether that's the the VA um, or a, a host of other things or even you know highways uh, you know our governor regularly says that if he he could do twice as much with you know a third of the the funds if he didn't have to to deal with all the government components to it so I, I think, uh, in, in theory, that it sounds nice, but the competitive nature and what has had the United States lead out in innovation and technology and in, in healthcare services and, and treatments, um, we need to make sure we preserve that uh, component. I think there is a way to do it so that we can have the, the cost be competitive, uh, that we can take care of the most vulnerable and the, and the poor and the chronically ill um, and we can have a, uh, a flourishing society and, and uh, keep everything else rolling along in terms of jobs and the economy. Okay, let's, uh, let's finish up with an email that's just uh, come in. Um, this is from Matthew. He says, my family has been impacted by the ACA and would like to see it repealed. When it was passed, my family went $6,000 in debt to pay for needed prescriptions. My aunt and her family lost coverage and could barely afford it when they finally got it. And I work mostly part-time and have had my hours uh, cut and limited. The ACA has not helped my family, and I don't anticipate the AHCA doing anything different. So it looks like Matthew Boyd is, is advocating for something beyond ACA and AHCA. Yeah, and, and, and Matthew is, is right on, and, and his story is, a, is one that's all too common out there. Um, of those who had their hours cut or who lost employment altogether, particularly small businesses. Um, and here in Utah, that's an important component. Our entrepreneurial sector and, and small businesses really drive the economy. Uh, and so the, the parts of the ACA that were most devastating were to those employers uh, and employees of, of small to medium-sized businesses. Um, and so that is a, uh, the, the real challenge. And, and it's part of the reason why I think there is that that thrust, and I think just as a as a final point, Tom, I, I think it's important uh, for everyone to, to understand that that the ACA is is going away, whether it's by congressional act or whether it collapses under its own weight. Uh, it's just not a sustainable model. It's it's already crumbling in so many different ways, and whenever government props up markets, uh, bad things happen. Quality goes down, costs go up. Uh, so it is going to go away. So the question then is, is what do we replace it with that will be better? 
and 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 I'm going to come full circle and, and agree with uh, with with Jason from from earlier that the, the process on this matters and it, it needs to be done in front of the American people uh, and that's my hope and I, I think having Utah's two senators uh, at the table for the the framing of it uh, I think is very good for Utah because it will bring some of those things that Utah does well uh, to the national stage and hopefully have a positive impact on healthcare in the country. Well, we'll uh, leave it there, and we'll uh, closely monitor what the Senate uh, does, of course. Uh, Boyd Matheson, president of the Sutherland Institute, has been with us. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Tom. All the best. All the best to you as well. Uh, keep those comments coming. UPRAccess at gmail.com. UPRAccess at gmail.com. And our thanks to Jason Stevenson from Utah Health Policy Project earlier in the program. Thanks to you for responding uh, to the program. Thanks for listening today. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, and UPR.org.